Welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Cybersecurity affects us all, whether we are at home, managing a company, supporting clients, or even running a state or local government. Join CIS's Sean Atkinson and Tony Sager as they discuss trends and threats, ways to implement controls and infrastructure, explore best practices, and interview experts in the industry. We are here to bring clarity to these complex issues to bring confidence in the connected world. Welcome back to the CIS podcast series, Cybersecurity Where You Are. I'm Tony Sager, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sean. Thank you, Tony. Pleasure to be here. Yep, always a pleasure, Sean. And we have a special guest today, uh, Bobby Stempley, the chairman of our of the board of directors for the Center for Internet Security. Welcome, Bobby. So nice to be here today. Bobby, I would try to list all the, th- the jobs that you have and the things that you do, but I-, I suspect that would take longer than we have for our podcast. We really appreciate you making time to join us today. And this is a particularly, I think, a poignant and touching episode. Uh, we're going to talk about the founder of the Center for Internet Security, the late Alan Paller. So, uh, you know, Alan's passing was really like a seismic event in the industry just a few months ago. And uh, there was a lot of discussion about him and tribute paid at the recent RSA conference. And we thought we'd go back and talk a little bit about uh, Alan's impact, not, not only on us as individuals, uh, on the Center for Internet Security as a company, but also as, on the industry as a whole. And I think each of us has uh, something to contribute and a little bit uh, different angle on our, our time together with Alan. So appreciate everyone's time today. So Bobby, let me start you off here though. But tell me, do you have an How I Met Alan story? Do you remember our first interaction or do you remember him sort of reputationally before you actually met him? Uh, so certainly reputationally before I ever met him. Um, I, and, and I would say I have met Alan both as an ally and advocate, uh, as a, a mentor, um, as a colleague, and sometimes as a uh, difficult and uh, our issues didn't always align us um, in this situation. So I don't want to say an adversary, but there there were clearly arguments in um, um, in our past uh, there as well. And I miss him dearly. There are days I still pick up the phone thinking I should call him and uh, miss him. Boy, that, that's number one, that covers an astounding range of relationships, and it does not surprise me in the least. Uh, you know, Alan had a way of, um, you know, strongly held beliefs, right? Well-formed, strongly held beliefs, yep. uh, and but could be a friend in a given moment and, a, you know, very sharp and incisive uh, critic, you know, in the next breath also. And I think that was part of what made him so special in all this. Sean, do you have a, an, an opening story? You, you probably knew of Sands before you met Alan on the board here. but Oh, I did. Yeah. Talk? Big fan of Sands, obviously. Yeah. So, Tony, I'd met, you know, the first time I'd met uh, was virtually on a risk committee call. So I was representing uh, risk from the CIS perspective, the CISO representing risk. And Alan was on the call and, um, that sharp, decisive uh, <laughs> um, element to his personality was right there at the beginning. But really, it was all taken, you know, professionally. It was, you know, never obviously personal or anything along those lines. But it was really the way you took it. And, I, you know, I reflected back. I was like, whoa, what did I do? I just, you know, I literally just started. It was my, my third, uh, I think it was my third week. And I did, uh, obviously, the risk committee call. And then it was, Wow. Uh, Alan is, uh, his reputation, this is fantastic, but it was, the way I'd taken it was this, it was decisive, it was sharp, it was do these things better. 
but it was done in a mentorship way is where then I could reflect back to him and say, I think I'm working it this route. Is that the right route? And, you know, working with him and John Gilligan obviously uh, solidified my approach and, and made it as crisp as it is today, hopefully, Bobby. Uh, yep. <laughs> but you'll see yep. from board of directors meetings. <laughs> I think, um, Tony, one of the, the sort of truisms here is uh, Alan, Alan's opinions were always strongly held, but they were also always well-informed. I would argue sometimes they weren't right, right? Those were the places where we argued, but but he always uh, always did the work that was necessary in order to hold those opinions, and I really appreciated that about him, and and learned a lot because of that from him. Yeah, and I think that 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 uh, is right. You know that he might open with a sharp argument, right? That was critical. <laughs> And that was that was part of a conversation. I think that was the way to right. think of it, right? That he was also testing us. That is, you know, your response could determine sort of how much energy would go into it. And I again, I never, I, I saw him be very critical of lots of different either specific issues or institutions. But you know, he was looking for the counterexamples too, right? He was again, you had to be able to hold your own, and I think that's not for everybody. But I think that was that was a bit of the magic of Alan and also his his charm. So so Bobby, you know, and, and having been on the other side, right, both of us had long careers yeah. in government. Alan was particularly sharp in his opinions about uh, what he thought would be the appropriate role for government or the success of government in solving really big problems, as opposed to what he called admiring those problems. Do you have any uh, experience with him on those kinds of things? Oh, yeah. So um it's interesting because um, one of the best and worst uh, interactions that we had was when Alan was um, on a advisory board for DHS on the cyber workforce issues. And particularly as it related to how did we help grow um, technical talent in the federal departments and agencies that were that had roles of both being deeply analytical and of overseeing other people's work. Um, and, and, um, and so we would, he came in with a sharp pointed uh, position about what the job of DHS should be. And that discussion, um, I, I have to say, was really difficult. We uh, we argued and argued and argued about this. And, and I was a civil servant at the time and trying to figure out how to navigate this very public, very bombastic, very smart figure um, in an argument with uh, which had conse long-term consequences to the plans that we were executing in the department. Um, <laughs> and and it's one of the few times where voices were raised and, you know, the hubaloo happened and, and we were, we were clearly on different sides of that, um, of that issue. But in the end, two days later, he called me and he said, okay, I don't agree with everything you said, but here's what I agree with. And here's where I think your argument needs strengthened. And I thought, to me, the fact that he was willing to 
point out where I needed to do better just spoke to the, to, to the value of the man. Um, no, that's a, that's a great story. And it really rings true in my interactions with Alan, you know, as a government employee, because, you know, and, and you and I both survived the federal system for quite some years and <laughs> yeah. no one would claim that it always makes sense, right? A lot of the, the missions and roles and responsibilities and legal issues evolve over time. And so, you know, it's a classic case where no one designed the entire system. And so you, you sort of learn to navigate it. And Alan did not have a lot of patience with, with that. And yet that's part of reality, right? The, the reality of what a, a federal civil servant has to deal with. And so the difference between good idea, big vision and execution can be really important. And so that, that story also really rings true because one of the very first things I did after retirement 10 years ago, Alan recruited me for that for that group, right? For that working group. And so working under him as one of the co-chairs and, uh, you know, he had these big leaps of, you know, things that sounded right, right? That had, that were important, big idea things and looking at them from the, with the eyes of a, of a federal civil servant, civil servant and looking at the legal issues, right? And the authorities and the funding and the complexities of navigating the political process. You know, those were all things that Alan understood. He just had no patience with and so would want to, say, we'll just do the right thing. And, you know, that, that is a tough, that's a tough line to walk. And I think, and, and again, a really brilliant man. So he, he was aware of these things, but his goal was to make sure that we didn't fall back into excuses for why we didn't do things, right? To force us to really look at the, what, the, what is possible and what is bigger. And I think that's the way I would take that. And your ability then to engage in that you know, uh, hullabaloo, right? That back and forth generated that kind of respect back. And it, it, when you could get that kind of a reaction, I think that felt pretty good, right? That spoke well to the, both your engagement with him, his openness, right? To hear you, right? He wasn't arguing for arguing sake. He was listening and, but also calibrating and saying, this argument makes sense. You need to work on this argument. So I think that all that rings true. And I, I can tell you, I was in, you know, part of those discussions on issues that the, that we dealt with at NSA. You know, Sean, back to the board issues. That was, you know, boy, I, I, for, I forgot how close that was to your introduction to, to CIS, to, 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 to getting the full uh, Allen effect in that, you know, in that first board meeting there. But, you know, and, and as you know, you created our risk approach, right, as our CISO. We had nothing like that previously. So every step was new ground. And, um, you know, sort of figuring that out and then having these, you know, really a, a, one of the big names and big brains in the business on our board it must have been quite a challenge for you to, uh, you know, to navigate and then watching it mature. Now as an observer, watching the, the sort of risk thinking of our board uh, now chaired by Bobby uh, over time, I think, you know, that, that give and take, I think was really important to that. And having an Alan Pallaret, having that kind of time with him, I think was really a, quite a benefit for us. The interesting thing, Sean, is the flip side of it is Alan knew what he didn't know, too, because as we were doing this debate, he was he was talking to us at the board level and saying, I, I don't know if this is right or not. I need you to pay attention here. Right. Absolutely. Sorry, right. Sean, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, really, it's a privilege, Tony, in a lot of cases to, to work with, you know, the board themselves and 
Uh, I'll give you one word that when I introduced the risk was intimidating. I mean, literally, you know, uh, you know, there, there's the who's who, to be honest, of cybersecurity. And I'm here, you know, little Sean Atkinson coming to him and saying, here's the here's an approach I think we should take. Uh, and so that went through many debates. And believe me, there was um, a, a lot of time and a lot of consideration. Uh, and really from, you know, all the board themselves and, and Alan obviously was... Um, I'll tell you what it did for me, Tony. It made me a better CISO. Uh, and the reason I say that is the feedback, the the engagement, and the way... One of the big things that Alan had provided me was the phrasing. It was, uh, you know, I, it wasn't that I used too many words, but it was I was using the wrong words to communicate. He said, define, make sure the context is present here. Stop saying... And one of his pet peeves was, uh, I think I'd... I used to say a lot, they. He says, who are they? Stop saying they work this process, understand the context, make me understand. And it just pushed me. And it, honestly, it was um, it was one of the makings of, of the program. And really, personally, uh, it was, uh, I feel, uh, a lot stronger in the position and, and really more confident, you know, work, working with, uh, and obviously the number of luminaries that we work with on our board is phenomenal. Uh, and being able to then have the confidence to s sit there and do that from that pre-work. And, you know, I've been with the organization four and a half years and uh, and through that and then working with Alan for, you know, the last four was, uh, uh, like I say, it was a privilege. Yeah, you know, both of you gave great examples, right, of, of Alan's point and criticism turning into a teaching opportunity. And and he was a master communicator. You know, his ability to, to be conscious of the words, to turn it into a story. You know, that was one of the things I learned from him also was the the value of the storytelling, uh, and and seeing that, and, and Bobby, I know he, you know, you, we both uh, heard from Alan after public, you know, in our early days of public speaking as government employees, and uh, you know, tell me a little bit about what you heard from Alan and, and impact it had on you, and in terms of the communication skill. Yeah, it's um, uh, to this day, uh, Alan's piece of advice was say what you mean, don't let it get lost in too many words. And I, uh, he, um, he actually came up to me after an event and, and essentially said, I understand what you were trying to say. You could have gotten that message across better, quicker, clearer, if you said what you mean and don't get it, lo get lost in too many words. And, and so I carry that message around with me all the time. I, I, I think I wrote this in my tribute uh, to Alan. He's still in my head, helping me be a better professional, helping me be a better security individual, helping me run a better board, helping me, you know, do work and live life in better ways. No, that's, that's, that's beautifully said. I, you know, when I, the first couple of times I saw him as a public speaker, I was struck. I mean, it was just his ability to craft a story. And yet he would, sneak in enough, I'll call them sort of data, you know, th that it was well-researched. I mean, it wasn't just the, the storytelling. It was a really deep, you know, he, he gave you the impression of this deep analysis under the hood, but it the data didn't drive, that's not what he was telling you. He was telling you a story, right, of human beings and criminals and, you know, the impact. And, but it was clearly you know, supported by real depth. And I was just struck because I had never heard anyone I even arranged, by the way, to have him come in to give a talk uh, at NSA. I said, and I said at the time, <laughs> I wish I had one boss 
we, back then we called it the network security problem. I wish I had one boss who could tell the story the way Alan does because it was both inspiring and challenging and entertaining. And it was, you know, people were on the, literally on the edge of their seats. You know, you wanted to be part of that audience. And so I brought him in as a, through a guest, guest lecturer series and, and both because I thought it just would be great for our workforce to hear this outside perspective. At that time, I thought we were spending too much time sort of inside the concertina wire, you know, talking to ourselves. And it was really an eye opener for, for me. I, I would say, and Sean, you saw him a lot in the board, right? He, he sort of picked his spots uh, with our board. There were areas that he was less interested in. There were areas that he was obviously deeply interested in. And uh, when it came to, you know, he, he was invested in us, right? We, we uh, name him as one of our founders and he's part of the the legend of that that led to the Center for Internet Security, and so, you know, there were a lot of things he could have been doing, but he never sort of lost sight of us, or lost interest, or lost the, you know, the the vision that that drove us back then. Any other um, sort of examples of things that weren't related to CIS, but that that you saw, Bobby, or that you heard of, Sean, that might might drive that? For example, let's talk a little bit about the the Sands Institute, you know, the big teacher of cybersecurity, and sort of how they. Uh, you know, Alan's vision for that. And I'll just share with you one anecdote. After I got to know Alan and he invited me to come down to give a couple of like evening lectures at some of his local conferences. And I got to meet some of the instructors. I went back to him and I said, Alan, where do you get these people? I mean, they were great communicators, technically deep, entertaining, and they could they could teach classes eight hours a day, five days straight and not lose steam. I said, where do you get these people? And he goes, Tony, it's it's my business model. He said, my business model is simple. Best instructors in the business determined solely by student feedback. And I was just like, wow, isn't that clever? And he really meant it. And once I became you know, temporarily a SANS employee after retirement, I got to see some of the underhood stuff and how we found those folks and how we uh, the, how we manage student feedback and use that to improve the the product that SANS delivered. Uh, just a curiosity, John, did you ever take a SANS course or sort of see that that oh, side of it? Absolutely. I, I think I've taken 10 courses. I, oh, I am okay. a fan of SANS. Yeah. That was, and obviously that's where I was first introduced, um, you know, to Alan and, and everything that he had done is um, best cybersecurity education in the world. It, it, it's just a fact. And, and like you say, the, the best instructors and the method of delivery constantly evolving. I mean, it's not that they've sat on their laurels for the last 10 years. They're constantly evolving, changing programs. Uh, and just the number of people that I got to meet because of uh, then knowing Alan, obviously, uh, through CIS, uh, you know, Ed Scotus, uh, Josh Wright, just some of the luminaries in the space as well from a penetration testing perspective. Uh, and, uh, you know, just being able to hear their stories. And, you know, I obviously at RSA heard a number just of uh, really heartfelt tribute and the number of people that he has took. You know, you talk about standing on the shoulder of giants. There's so many people that say Alan was the impetus. Alan was my motivation. Alan gave me the opportunity. And it just it's um, that there are so many stories that you're, you know, ultimately he is a legend uh, and that there will be many stories of the legend uh, that will be told, which is uh, which just uh, relates back to, uh, yeah, to I, him as a, as a that's, person. That's wonderful. And, you know, that that sort of notion for I, I came to think of SANS. I, I use a term occasionally for CIS, but it's really I got it when thinking about SANS platform for activism. You know, Alan was running an incredibly successful business, but it was really a platform 
for activism, for him to cause great things to happen, you know, to help change the industry, but also the individuals in it. And I think, you know, Bobby, your story earlier about you know, his discussions with you and the feedback and so forth. Once Alan got a hold of you, right? It, it wasn't about, you know, he had this knack. I, I, I said in the tributes to him, one of his great strengths was he would spot good people doing good work and turn it into great people doing national class work because it was very personal, right? He would find you and maybe he saw something that was possible, something grander, bigger, more mature, whatever. And that was that was what came across to me in all those tributes at RSA. Bobby, I think you're one of those folks that he, he spotted at some point. And again, it, it could have been through criticism, but he never let go, did he, right? He was always there. Yeah, and it's it's really funny because the other thing that was really true about Alan is he was constantly connecting people together, right? It didn't matter if the idea was complete or fully formed. It could be two steps of a 20-step project. And he'd say, I need these three people. I might not know all 20 steps. I need these three people. If I can connect them together, they'll go and figure it out. Um, and, and he was sort of constantly doing that. And I remember getting phone calls from him where he'd say, hey, I just had this conversation with this person uh, in the government in these places. And we were talking about this problem that needed to be solved. Um, it, sometimes it was something, you know, I could talk about publicly and other times it wasn't. And, and, and I'd say, oh, yeah, OK, I know this person at DOJ. Yep, I understand the problem that needs to be solved. What if we, and then we'd go off in a different direction. And I walked away with all of the tasks out of the conversation, but that was fine because it was the right connection and, and sort of the right action um, that could be moved. So that was Alan. I think that's that's right. And that, um, so I mean, I don't know if he had a literal Rolodex, but his his capacity for both those names, but for maintaining those relationships, I thought was just off the charts. You know, I thought, how does he how does he keep track of all these people? You know, and what they're doing, and and it was a uh, there's a great photo of him that that came out. Uh, a friend sent it to me. It became part of the program for the RSA tribute. But Alan's sitting, you know, on a table outside of a, uh, a it's it's in some hotel conference center. I know. And, uh, and the mental picture was, Alan's going to go on stage in a couple of minutes, right, to give some off-the-charts talk. But he's using every moment to phone call people, to catch up, to connect, and so forth. And I got to, you know, I got to travel with him a fair amount uh, on the advisory board for the Air Force Graduate School. And, you know, he there was never a down moment. It was constant, this catching up with, reaching out to teaching, mentoring, connecting. And again, it was more than, um, you know, some people are really good at it. I'll call it, in, and I don't mean this in a negative way, pattern matching, right? Oh, you know, these names match, the topics we're working on match. Alan was a participant, right? He was, he, you know, he, he had as many ideas or more than any of us and a lot of depth to his thinking to bring these things together. So for me, that was like extraordinary. Right? It wasn't just the, the connection of ideas and people, but to contribute deeply to them and to see how these, like you said, three steps out of 20 and these smart people will figure out the other 17, right? If I could just get them to have one conversation. So this idea of this 
you know, using the time, maintaining over who knows how many years, all these relationships was just extraordinary to me. Uh, now, there are a few early SANS instructors who say, uh, so So part of the, the folklore of the, the startup of CIS, right? The early, first early benchmarks, right? That was the founding of the company. And uh, gee, a lot of those early volunteers happened to be SANS instructors, you know, who were brought in by Alan, you know, Randy Marchani and, you know, Ed Scotus and uh, Hal, Hal Pomerantz and all the, they all have a story of being voluntold or, you know, grabbed for a project and, and brought together and, and, you know, it was a sort of chaos that they look back at you know, 20 years later when we talked to them around the, uh, the 20 year mark for CIS and with amazing fondness, you know, that, that Alan had such trust in them, right? And such depth of their understanding to bring them into something that would be still standing so many years later. So uh, yeah, I, I really, uh, really came to appreciate all that. The other things I'll, I'll mention, part of his network Alan once told me this, um, you know, the ability of SANS as, again, as a platform for activism. He once said, it was an offhand remark, but I know he meant it. He said, Tony, if, if things really happen bad in the country, I can pull more people together from SANS alumni than you can as a government executive. I can pull them together more rapidly towards common cause. And I thought about that. Later. I thought, doggone it, he is right. You know, he could get an astounding number of people that he keeps in touch with, by the way, through the SANS mailing list, the, what they call I forget, the advisory board or whatever. That So it wasn't just a class. It wasn't just teaching. It wasn't, it was building a network of these, you know, the top students from all their instructions and being able to turn them loose on a problem. You know, that was just, a, just an eye opener for me. It's like, he's right. <laughs> You know, I've got a lot of good people working for me at NSA, but he could grab them faster and with more directed purpose than I ever could. So for me, the, the experience, I don't know if you have a story around this one, uh, uh, Bobby, but my kind of awakening moment around this was Code Red, if you remember those days. And out of the blue, Alan and I had a friendship, but not not very far along. And I get a phone call completely out of the blue, whenever this was, I, I, uh, 2000, early 2000s. Hey, Tony, you got anybody working on Code Red? And I had this moment of hesitation. So I knew him, but not super well. I'm thinking, hmm, if I do, at a minimum, that would be for official use only, right? I should tell this guy that yes. And then I thought, hmm, but if I say I'm in the network security business and we're not working Code Red, obviously I'm an idiot. I said, so of course, yes, of course, Alan, we do. He says, great, we're running a SANS conference in DC right now. I'm inviting everybody I can find who's working on it to show up tomorrow night at whatever the hotel. I, and I've got the ballroom. I'll provide the snacks. Bring anybody you want. And I showed up the next night with, uh, if you remember, uh, Bobby, Paul Bartok, the late Paul Bartok. And next thing I know, I'm in a room with, I don't know, several dozen of the smartest, most animated people I've ever met. And we're the, we're the only government people in there. And I thought, Alan got all this on a day's notice with a phone call. Oh my gosh. I turned to Paul. I said, this is different. We are now part of this, right? This is how things will get done in a public-private way in the future. And so th that was the moment of awakening for me, both his ability to gather the kind of talent that we could, you know, that we needed, right, nationally for this kind of thing. Uh, the interesting thing to me in, in both that and, and all of the sort of these stories of activation 
with Alan is he didn't pick the flashy method. He didn't, right? It, it was about the lowest barrier way to connect the right people um, in it, with the necessary words and data to activate them, right? That That's Alan with the story that brought you there. Yeah, ex exactly. And again, he, he was as smart or smarter than anybody in the room and brought all that, right? It was more than the gathering. It was the, really the ins inspiration. Let, let, let's chat a little bit, uh, Bobby, because I think you were involved in, in the workforce things, like you mentioned with at DHS. That really became Alan's passion, you know, beyond the education Very training. So. The last several years was about the future of the cyber workforce. Can you share a little bit about your interactions with Alan on the, the topic, bringing people in and developing and so forth? Yeah, it's... Uh... It's interesting because even within that broad uh, topic, right, the workforce topic, Alan, Alan and I would have these conversations about, do we need uh, an army of generalists or do we need very precise skills and, and how do we get them there, right? He had strong opinions that certainly we need a level of acumen amongst the general population, but no, the real issues we needed was to bring in people from all walks of life um, that were really going to be this the, these technical experts in key areas that the nation uh, needed and that he wanted to solve this problem at scale. And that's really what I loved about, um, about working with him on it is some of these ideas would seem crazy and, and sort of all of a sudden it was like, oh no, we can actually do this. We, we, to your point, he didn't have any patience for the bureaucracy, but he loved to find people who could force the bureaucracy to work for him um, and, and engage. And I think when I think about like, programs like Girls Go Cyber Start, I mean, that's really an example of how he turned the bureaucracy to his favor, both in terms of identifying people who had the passion and had the acumen without big, huge tests and infrastructures, and then unlock both of those, and then have that passion bring everybody else along. It was just a, a wonderful thing. He called me one day. I was in, um, I was working at Carnegie Mellon at the time, and he called me one day and he said, "Look, I need help because the state of Pennsylvania doesn't have enough participants here, and and I'm I'm not, you know, what what do we do?" And I was like, "I don't know, but I'll make a couple of phone calls, and you know, we'll we'll sort of figure it out." And over the course of, you know, two days, he and I sort of found our way into this substrate in the Pennsylvania public school system that enabled all the middle schools and, and high schools to be connected um, around particular topic areas. And we got this program into place and all of a sudden, you know, it unlocked it into those schools. And I think had he not called, what would have happened? So it was just really this opportunity for me to yet again take the to-do list from the phone call, but but to be able to really drive towards the right answer. Yeah, and you you said a key word in there that really resonates: scale. You know, it it wasn't good enough to make a little progress, right? And there are lots of great programs out there to bring 
specific populations in or to raise awareness of executives or whatever, you know, and they're all good, right? And you've seen lots of those uh, projects and write-ups, you know, okay, we're going to, and they're all good on in their own merits, <clears throat> but the scaling, that's what Alan was consumed by. How do I take a good idea and make it a national idea, right? How do I not touch a population, but all populations and this big picture view, you know, we need lots more people doing this and lots fewer people doing that. You know, he had the giant vision of what was possible. And I think that that really made him stand out to me, that he was thinking of the whole problem in really scalable ways. And, and recognizing populations and demographics that weren't at the table and then digging in enough to understand why and find ways that work to bring them uh, sort of bring them to the table. So I really, I really appreciated that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think that uh, really makes him stand out and, and really, you know, aside from the personal loss of, of really just an amazing figure, but this, this grand thinker about, you know, the, 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 the need of the nation, the ecosystem at large, you know, is such, it's, it's hard to imagine another Alan. I mean, there's just so much going on there. Yeah, I think, um, you know, any other any other thoughts or, or topics that we haven't touched on in terms of Alan and his influence either on the industry or on individuals? You must have another story, Bobby, about, about <laughs> yours are always really uh, good. He, uh, um, so it's a little bit embarrassing, actually, but... Um, there was a about a two week period where I swear I I would set my phone down and it would call Alan. I would put it in my back pocket and it would call Alan. And and I mean I I think I unintentionally called him maybe fifteen times in oh. that sort of two week period. Yeah, I oh. I, I and. Finally, I realized what was going on, right? He he texted me back and he's like, okay, obviously you need to talk about something. Meet me at, I can't even remember what restaurant it is um, and we'll talk about it. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And why is Alan Power, this was before I was on the board with him, I'm like, why is Alan Power calling me and telling me I need to, to meet him at a restaurant? Um, but it was... Um, it was this really interesting interaction because we we started having a discussion. It was sort of uh, early in the days of his focus on workforce issues. So it was just after the national, um, I think it was the National Science Foundation issued their report on whether the cybersecurity workforce was ready for professionalization. And, you know, so it was sort of there was lots of drama in the um, in the in the overall um, overall act, uh, activity, and we um, we had it was, so we had this conversation about people, levers of action, and uh, scale over coffee. Um, there and and I remember sort of sketching out. It's it's not the CIS story, but I remember sketching out on a piece of paper. Right, okay. If if we had these six or eight government folks involved, 
and I can do something about that, that might make a difference. And it was just this, I have this very vivid memory of him not letting this random dialing activity go to waste uh, there. He, he could have not been my friend anymore because of that, but clearly that wasn't the case. So there you go. No, no. He, I'm sure he took it as a sign, right? What what can I get Bobby Obviously. involved with that would be of national importance and worthy of her time and talents? I could just picture, <laughs> just picture that. You know, everything was an opportunity to him, right? Every person everything. he met, every problem to be solved was an opportunity. And I just love that attitude, right? That there was always some big idea hidden that he might have to dig a little bit to find or to connect with something else. But, you know, I, I had those kind of meetings without, without dialing out 15 times, but I just walked away a little daunted, right? A little overwhelmed and thoroughly energized excited to dream that big, right? To, to feel like, you know, this giant of a intellect and figure, you know, is, I'm in a conversation with him, right? And he treats you as though you're, you're there with him. In fact, you're, you know, you're one of the foot soldiers in the grand army, but it was so exciting to me to be a part of that, to feel energized by that. And I think that's what I really miss is the uh, that feeling of inspiration, that feeling of, you know, this is an adventure and we're going to do it. We're going to do something big here, you know, and uh, Sean, you know, we are recipients of that, right? We're beneficiaries of a big vision that Alan had. And, you know, I, I never knew how big he really dreamed because, you know, he didn't bat a thousand either. But it, he batted really high batting average. I, I once quipped, right? He, he'd be in the Hall of Fame no matter what the sport was uh, because his success rate was so high. But he wasn't afraid to swing big and miss, too, or to, re, to adapt, to kind of send things. OK, that didn't work. Let's try this instead and bring in a different idea or a different person. But, Sean, you know, we, we stand uh, clearly. You said it on the, on the shoulders of some amazing people, uh, both as our founders and, and as members of our board. And so... Um, you know, I appreciate your your uh, reflections on that and your your uh, sort of relatively fresh eyes on you know, seeing Alan uh, in, in action with us. So, Bobby, I think, um, you know, for, for, for both of us who know him for so long and, and uh, you know, had, had many of these private opportunities to both be inspired and challenged by him, it really has been a, an amazing uh, ride and a, and a really difficult loss. So I, I really thank you for for sharing those memories with us. You know, they make me smile, they'll make me sad later, but, um, you know, and it's part of what has, uh, you know, is a uh, part of the glue of our friendship also. And so I, I can't tell you how much we appreciate your role as chairman of our board and really uh, someone who's helping us take CIS to the, to the next stage. Any last thoughts that you have about Alan that happily take? I think one of the truisms about Alan was he was always in service of a larger mission and, uh, and always an optimist. And I found that given that he might, his batting average might be high and that the problems that he was facing always seemed daunting. Those two things are, are always a, a source of inspiration. I think not just for those of us who knew him, but 
for those of us that will hear this story and all the other stories about him. Wonderfully said, Bobby. Thank you. And, and Bobby, thank you for being our guest on the CIS podcast series. It's a, it's a modest, but we, Sean and I love the conversation. We get, we get more time together talking, you know, here on podcasts than we do in real work and uh, the, the opportunity to bring in a guest like you and uh, share some memories about someone who's affected all of us deeply and the industry as a whole equally deeply. We really appreciate your time. So thank you, Sean. Thanks again. It's always great to, to catch up with you. Bobby, thank you again. Uh, this has been another episode of the CIS podcast series, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Uh, thanks again. Subscribe to us in the usual ways, and we hope to see you again soon. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you are interested in learning more about how to grow your cybersecurity program, the free tools available to help you on your journey, or to get involved with the CIS volunteer community, visit our website at cisecurity.org. Start secure and stay secure.